All right. Well, there is a long intro to a podcast. I think this is going to be an interesting one. It's based on an experience I had just a couple days ago that really made me look at some things. Um, This is Robert Mitchell on High Tide in the Dream Time. This is episode number 28, uh, and it's going to, I think the, the episode's going to be called Crushed by Compression. And that is an introduction. That was a live version of the end with the doors. I think a lot of people have heard that album version of that. Um, but I don't know if too many people have heard it live. And I had the opportunity probably about 20 years ago, maybe it was now. Anyway, um, <clears throat> the Doors toured with Ian Astbury, who was the singer for The Cult, which was a band in the sort of 80s and 90s and the singer Ian Asprey was really inspired by Jim Morrison so the Doors decided or two of the Doors it was Robbie Krieger and uh, Ray Manzarek desi- decided to tour with Ian Asprey and perform Doors songs now um, by that time Jim Morrison had been dead I don't know almost 30 years and I had loved The Doors when I was a teenager. There was just something mystical about them and profound about the lyrics and it implied something. And it really opened up a lot of doors for me because I got into William Blake and Nietzsche and uh, Jung and a lot of the things that had influenced uh, Jim Morrison's poetry. I read, you know, uh, the poets that he read and you know it was a real opening for me because really different from the world I was in in the early 80s which was unfortunate in my experience (laughs) Um, but what was amazing about the night that I spent seeing Ray Manzarek and Robbie Krieger and Ian Asbury and then drummers and bassists and all this play these Doors tunes was that I had always listened to The Doors, maybe on headphones, you know, on a Walkman in the 80s, or on a stereo, or, you know, on a car radio. I'd heard all these songs in this form that was quite different from the way I saw them that night. And the thing that was so different was I saw them in the Universal Amphitheater. I, I heard those songs in an amphitheater that was designed to maximize acoustics. And I could feel the music inside my body because it was so loud. I could feel it in my heart and in my kidneys and my liver where I'd experienced music at other rock concerts. But I'd never heard this concert before, this music like that before. I'd never heard it so spread out in a big, wide open amphitheater with a lot of volume and been able to feel the drums and the bass in my body. And it was really extraordinary, even though, you know, it was a watered down version of this music because, you know, Ian Asprey wasn't Jim Morrison, though he gave it the real college try and he was actually awesome. And I remember reading 
him d during an interview saying that for him it was like performing Shakespeare. It wasn't an imitation, it was something that was um, kind of eternal, this kind of creativity, and he was just kind of slipping into the slipstream of it. You know, and I kind of thought it, it was an incredible evening. Mm. The reason that it was incredible was I experienced this music in its expanded intended state. In an amphitheater, um, amplified, round, it had a space and an openness and a generosity and an eroticism that it never had just listening to it in my ears. And then, you know, then there was the participation mystique of being in a crowd who was wanting to have that same experience, a rock concert experience or a football game or a Grateful Dead show, you know, where everybody's participating in the same thing. But why I was reminded of it was the other day I met the person who created iTunes and then sold it to Steve Jobs. And I was like, oh, you're the guy who ruined music. <laughs> because, um, you know, he created the MP3. You know, he was part of the MP3 revolution. And MP3s, the, the, the music files that you listen to on a computer on an MP3 player that now everybody listens to on an iPhone is a compressed version of the recorded music. There is a lot of sound that because of the space limitation in the file doesn't go on to an MP3. It's, it's, it's compressed so that you don't even hear it. So I have found in the past, maybe in the past few years, sometimes I don't know if my hearing's gone or if just MP3s sound crappy. And I think that there's a thinness in MP3s. It's been compressed. It's been digitally compressed. And a lot of the bottom is missing and a lot of the higher end sounds in a recording are missing. And I was speaking to him about that and about why it can't be improved upon. And he was saying that it can. And I remember Neil Young had made something called a, a Pono, which was an impress improved version of digital music where it was more like the recorded acetate. I know this is all about music, but I'm gonna get to why it's on my website on my uh, podcast in a minute. Bear with me. Anyway, um, and Neil Young had failed at it. His company had failed for a variety of reasons, part of which was quality. People didn't hear much of a difference, part of which was there wasn't a much of an appetite for there being a difference, and part of it was that people didn't want to buy all the music they owned again to play on Neil Young's Pono player, which looked like a Toblerone bar. But this guy said something super interesting to me. The guy who uh, invented iTunes, he said that there just really isn't that much appetite for a better sound now because an entire generation and perhaps two has grown up listening to MP3s and they don't know the quality of sound that they can hear on a record the butteriness of it, 
the richness of it, the complexity of it. They just have never heard that. And it made me think about my son, Lucas, when he was 10, we were in a Whole Foods and they had a record player um, there and they were trying to sell albums and he took the album and he stood in front of the record player and he said, so how does it work? And it was just so amazing that he just had no idea how a record player worked. Well, enough about the music because I think it's a great metaphor for reality that we find ourselves at the present time. And it's almost like a form of Gnosticism. We are all so digitized. We are all so collectivized in our notion of what reality is. You know, it's funny, I saw uh, somebody, every time I go on Facebook, everybody puts up the same identity politics uh, identity politics stories. White supremacy, male privilege, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it's all real, I, you know, it's fine. I'm, I'm not putting it down and I know everyone's gonna say that, you know, I'm benefiting from it because I'm a white male and I'm not interested in discussing that or, or um, saying that's not true. What I'm interested in is, you know, I grew up in a household with a mom who was absolutely liberated <laughs> in her own way during a time when women were talking about being liberated, when they were marching about being liberated. She was just liberated. She was creative. She was financially independent. She did what she wanted to do. She was successful in a way that was limited only by her own creativity, which was extraordinary. And so rather than seeing people talk about, uh, in my upbringing, being liberated or talking about being oppressed, I saw somebody who was neither oppressed and was liberated. And they weren't as involved in the discussion of it or in the concepts of it or in the ideas about it as just being that way. And it was kind of awesome to see. Now, in our current culture, I feel like we have a bit of an MP3 culture. I, I mean, I see that we all get the same information. It's CNN, it's the Drudge Report, it's the Huffington Post, it's YouTube, it's it's so conventional and digitized and there's a deadness to it. There's a lack of our own erotic interaction with our consciousness and the consciousness that transcends our consciousness, which is really where we should be getting informed about ourselves. You know, we don't need to get informed about ourselves by collective movements. In fact, Jung thought that that was the thing that was the, mo the antithesis of individuation, was being caught up in a collectivity, was being drowned in a collective voice. And he also thought it was super dangerous because he thought that in the instance of, say, Nazism, that you could get swept up in a movement and being a Nazi and totally lose your identity. 
and totally lose your morality and totally lose your unique moral compass. And as you lost your uniqueness, as you got caught up in the crowd think. And I think this certainly happens in our culture. It happens politically with the right and the left. Um, but it also happens in the sense of what reality is. And reality's become an MP3 version of reality. It's become a digitized, we look at our phones, we email, we text. We don't really have an expansive relationship with our environment, with the nature in our environment, with the way trees grow, with the way we're formed, with what our structure is, with how our brain is unique and unlike any other brain in existence. And, you know, I think about with people like Elon Musk or uh, Silicon Valley people who like to work with the idea that reality is a computer simulation, which is pretty funny because computers are a simulation of human consciousness. And we've now all got things asked backwards because of the tools we use because of our computers and our phone and our media, we think that's what we are. We think that's what we're interfacing with to form an identity. <coughs> I said water go down the wrong way. No need to get tested for coronavirus at this point. Um, and it's really important to reconnect with the erotic experience of our identity and relationship to the cosmos and the unified field of consciousness that animates everything because there is no discussion of that in our media. There's no discussion of that really in our social media. There's no discussion in that in our conventional thinking. And the New York Times is written at an eighth grade level. And that's the most sophisticated uh, media conglomerate in, 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 or in, the, in our culture. It's for eighth graders to understand. There's so many levels of humanity and of consciousness beyond that. And we're being compressed by what we're able to perceive. Because if we're just looking at the media and the medium with which we're getting our messages, the actual eternal nature of each one of us that actually gives form to our physical identity, that gives form to our lives is being ignored. And yeah, there's a coronavirus going on and yeah, there's an imbecile in the White House. And yeah, he's surrounded by people like Barr. And yeah, there is a struggle for power between rigid, uh, jingoistic uh, European Americans and a more complex evolving America, that is happening for sure. And that's been happening for a long time. That's been happening for my whole lifetime.
I'm going to be 52 in a couple weeks. By the way, since my birthday is coming up, um, I have thought that, this is an aside, that since this podcast is getting pretty popular um, and it's growing all the time and I have a pretty consistent audience and people always getting in touch with me and telling me that they enjoy what I'm doing, I have a Venmo address, which is Robert dash Mitchell dash 60. There's a picture of me on there. And if you're enjoying this podcast, when you get one, if you want to send a few bucks my way as an appreciation, I totally dig that. And if you're just appreciating getting this for free, that's good too. But I just wanted to make it available to anybody who wants to demonstrate their appreciation because I put a lot of time into these podcasts and a lot of thought. And if anybody wants to, um, you know, feel like there's an exchange in that, that's totally cool with me. You know, there's a ton of free stuff on my website at www.goingquantum.com. And this is about the 28th free podcast I've made. And, you know, it's there's there's money exchange in the culture. And if anybody feels like they're getting anything of value from this, I will happily receive uh, their gratitude in that way. Um, okay, so... But back to what we were talking about after that, my little commercial for me is we have to look at the way that our consciousness is being compressed because we don't remember what it was like before that happened. Like for kids who are growing up today and all they listen to is MP3 music, they don't know that there's something better that they're not aware of. So they don't want it. They don't, they, don't, they don't have an appetite for it. But for those of us whose identity has formed in this environment, in this collective environment that beats on you every day because people dress the same way and they drive the same cars and they listen to the same music and they listen to the same news and they show how evolved they are by their highest association, which for most people is their political views. So they think they're Republican or they're Democrat or they're pro-life or they're pro-choice or, you know, that's, that's part of the collectivity. That's part of the dialogue we're not having because nobody is really discussing what their relationship is with the absolute, except in really kind of conventional and well-worn ways, which is sort of like evangelical Christians and all that sort of stuff. And they're kind of talking about God and this kind of uh, human, male kind of way. Anthropomorphic is the word I'm always understanding. And that's going out. That's kind of over. I mean, look at coronavirus. Look how much more powerful coronavirus is than that whole anthropomorphic idea about God. Look how it's changed the whole world. And it's emerged out of something. Yeah, there's a physical aspect to the coronavirus. There is a, a there's a viral aspect of it. It, it. It's come out of something. It's come out of, who knows, snakes or some kind of lizard or some kind of something in China. And it's hopped into um, the American, the human biome. And it's wreaking havoc, but it's wreaking havoc collectively. It's wreaking more havoc here because our leaders are more stupid. But what does it mean? 
What does it mean that so much can be changed that emerges out of nowhere? What's the purpose of it? You know, is there gonna be a vaccine? Isn't there gonna be a vaccine? That's science. You know, is Trump gonna get elected? Is he gonna, again, is, he, is Joe Biden get elected? That's politics. But if you look at what the coronavirus has done and what it's the result of, I mean, what it's the result of is corporate malfeasance and damage that's been done to the environment by greed, by what's going on in the Amazon, by what's going on with carbon emissions, by what's going on with overpopulation, because that's the reason that they have those markets in China is because there's so many people, they have to eat everything. Not, they can't just exist on chickens and root vegetables and fish. You know, I was, and, um, you know, the things most people are eating, they're eating dogs and the cats and snakes and lizards because there's so many people. You know, and I saw the other day, I think it was off the Galapagos, which is a place where, um, it's you're not allowed to fish it's a it's a it's uh been made a wilderness where you can't fish and harvest fish and they found 256 chinese fishing boats off the galapagos where they don't belong and that's because there's a billion people they have to feed but this is really a problem and uh coronavirus is something that's emerged out of a non-physical imbalance into physical reality. What does it mean? Well, it shut down travel. People aren't going to work. It shut down economies. And, the, and it's done more to clean up the environment than the Paris Accord has. And if we just go back to looking at things in a compressed way and we think what we need to do is we need to get a vaccine and everybody needs to go back to work just how things were we're not understanding that there's a purpose beyond its compression its compression is what you hear about on cnn or you know read about or you see the way it's mismanaged because people didn't want to hear its message people didn't want to have to stay in their house for a few weeks you know all these i'm sorry rednecks in uh the South and in the Southwest, they didn't want to have to contemplate what it means. They just wanted to go back to bars and beaches and church. And so what this is about is about not identifying with the representation of reality. Not seeing what's dead because digitized is dead. MP3s are dead. News that you're getting on your computer is dead. It's intended for clicks. It's not intended to enlighten you. You know, it's when you see Chris Cuomo or I don't know um, on CNN or Sean Hannity. Those people aren't informing you about reality. Those people don't know about reality. They know about a sliver of reality that's pretty much worthless to anybody who's a sensitive, thoughtful, emotional, spiritual being. I mean, sure, there's an army of stupid people out there 
and they have to be sort of overcome by our higher angels. But for each one of us, we have to orient ourselves towards something that's real. Towards something that's profound because that's what we're designed for. That's what our consciousness is. Our consciousness is a unique version of the unified consciousness that moves throughout physical and non-physical universes. And if we're just orienting it towards CNN or politics or culture, we're screwed. That's why people are so many people are depressed. Because they're using their consciousness for something it wasn't designed for. It's designed to ex- exist in animism, where everything is animated by the divine. Right now I'm in a room and it is a physical representation of a non-physical reality. And if I just kind of look around at the walls and the ceiling, it's pretty small. But if I'm able to experience the reality that it represents and that it came out of, it's a very dynamic space that has subatomic realities in it swirling around me and the intelligence that created the whole universe created this room too. And it created the room that you're in right now as well or the car that you're sitting in. And if you can unify, if you can get in union with that intelligence, it will inform you about your own experience and about reality in a way that will bring wonder into your moment. And it will bring it alive. And so when people say that reality might be a simulation, when people like Elon Musk say that or other other people involved in um, futurism, it's not. That whole digital world is a simulation of consciousness. That's all it's ever been. And that's all it's ever going to be. A computer is just a simulation of a brain. But what a brain's designed for is to animate eternal consciousness in physical reality. And if it's doing that, you're going to be happy no matter what's happening. That's going to be the awe and joy I talked about in my original podcast. But if you're just dealing with the nuts and bolts and the ones and zeros in the program that's being presented to you, you're not going to get animated by anything except digital byproducts. So when I saw that guy today, a couple days ago and he said well there's no appetite for better music because generation has now grown up with mp3s thinking that's what's good well there's not enough appetite for the divine order that we've all sprung out of because we've all been hypnotized by this mp3 reality this daily mail Isn't it funny how, like, no one gives a shit about movie stars right now? (laughs) Because they don't matter. And really, they never have. They're, like, part of the collective illusion. Just like movies are. And so, 
what I want this to be about symbolically is don't be dead. Don't deal in the dead byproducts of an unwise culture. Deal in the animating force behind all reality that right now you can look outside and see the ways trees are growing and that animating force has an intelligence that's growing trees that way. Just like it's shaped solar systems and universes and crab nebulae. And it's right here, right now, and there's no reason to ignore it. And the coronavirus isn't a reason to ignore it. And Trump's not a reason to ignore it. And um, conventional notions of what's going on in the world are no reason to ignore it. You ignore it at your own peril. You ignore it like you've ignored that reality because of we get trained to do it because we all get conditioned by our experience, by our families, by our parents, by our friends, by our educational systems that are just collective. You know, they're like the same kind of collectives that make schools make jails. You know, I think I remember, you know, I went to Beverly Hills High School and I think it was made around the same time as Alcatraz. And when I first went to Alcatraz, I was like, this is just like where I went to high school. Well, I think I went to Alcatraz first, but it was the same cement corridors, the same structures, the same windows, the same lights, the same feeling. And I allowed myself to be limited by that feeling. And that was hard. But none of us need to be in an MP3 reality. We can be in the amphitheater of the eternal. We can be in the amphitheater of the unified intelligence and we don't have to compress our experience into our conditioning or the conditioning of those who raise us, educate us, or inform us of what they think reality is like. And that unifying intelligence that's behind everything, call it whatever you want to call it, I don't care. But if you have contact with it, it will inspire you. It will delight you. It will call you to unknown parts of yourself that are just as much you as everything you know about. And it'll expand your sense of you and the universe that you live in. All right. So this has been Robert Mitchell at High Tide in the Dreamtime. Uh, a lot of my essays are at goingquantum.org where there's, there's an introduction to my work. And this is High Tide in the Dreamtime. I hope everybody enjoyed this. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye.